the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Most people think of courage as going into combat or being a first responder. But according to today's guest, Ken Foster, true courage pushes us past our personal limitations so we can transcend difficulties and open up substantial opportunities. Ken joins us to provide proven wealth strategies and success principles to help us stand in our strength, awaken our inner genius, and fast-track our success. Ken is a business strategist and syndicated radio host. He is the best-selling author of seven books, including The Courage to Change Everything. Welcome, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, John. It's a pleasure to be on your show today. So, Ken, let's begin by talking a little bit about you. What led you to the path of helping people transform their lives? Well, what led me was I was in a lot of pain, and I was looking for a way out. Uh, Back in uh, the early 90s, I was in a therapy uh, session, uh, actually ongoing therapy with a psychiatrist, and um, I wasn't uh, in a good place. I had my relationships weren't working. I make a lot of money. I spent a lot of money. I was... um, feeling that my creativity was stifled, I'd lost my purpose in life. And um, so I'm, I'm going to this therapist and what happened is uh, one day I start hearing this little voice that says, you've got to feel the pain to make the change. So I go to the doctor, I tell him what I hear. And he says, Ken, I can't do anything more for you. You have to follow that voice. Now, remember, I'd been seeing him for a year. So I'm walking out of his office thinking, this is crazy. He's telling me to follow some voice. Well, that was the voice of courage. That was the voice of truth and wisdom. That was the inner still, that little still voice we all have within us. And I did start following that voice. And soon my life got better and better and better. And I realized at that moment that my life had been run on a lot of ego and uh, thinking what's best for Ken. And when I surrendered to that voice, I started getting tuned into that inner wisdom that guides us all. Well, and I love the way you describe that, Ken, because I think most of us get that messaging. We get that voice, but we don't pay attention to it. I I know in my own life, after 23 years of marriage, I had given so much of myself to my husband and children that I lost who I was. And similar to you, I had a voice that said, you can't go on like this, because if you continue to, you will be gone. And And I honestly wasn't sure I would be able to find myself again. So I do think we often get the type of messaging that you described, but you know, as you say, it takes courage to follow that. I, I had to give up everything to follow it. So yeah, well, I, um, I had to give up everything too, just like you, Joan. I, I was in a place where that little voice of courage kept whispering. And listen, I was in a lot of pain. So I'm hearing a voice that says, you've got to feel the pain to make the change. What was that really telling me? It was really telling me that I was trying to cut off duality. We live in duality, right? Light dark, up, down, left, right. I was trying to, in pain and pleasure, I was trying to just live in a pleasurable side of life, not really wanting to grow or evolve or change or do anything. I didn't want that. I just wanted to have fun. And what I found is that just chasing fun led me down a path where like, just like you, I just lost myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I was anymore. 
Do you think a lot of people live in that state that you and I found ourselves in and they continue to do that for the rest of their life? I think it's a gift to be able to awaken from that state. And I do believe that uh, a lot of people are waking up right now. You know, pain is a great motivator. A lot of people have felt a lot of suffering. They've gone through a lot of struggle. They've gone through times when enough is, is, you know, just enough. They're kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that state, you know, and they're worried, they're fearful, they're, they're, they're concerned they're going to lose their health and maybe they have lost their health or their loved ones. But that state is the state that seems to be a state where the mind becomes fertile again. The mind becomes open. Okay, I can't do this anymore. Just like you, I was in that place. I can't do this anymore. There must be a better way to live. And so the mind becomes open to searching for solutions at that point. So I think a lot of us uh, in the world uh, are going through that right now. I think a lot of people are. And it's now it's time to find your courage, though, to walk into the unknown, just like you had to walk into the unknown because you didn't know where you were going to find yourself again. I didn't know how I was going to find myself, but I did know that the way I was living at that point in time was not an empowered life. It was a disempowered life that I kept trying to make better, but it was like taking, uh, I, well, I don't know. It, it just was a terrible life. <laughs> so, well, I think the important message in what you're saying, Ken, is that Every person has the ability to enact that type of change. You know, somebody sitting home right now listening saying, well, sure, Ken, you could do it, or Joan, you could do it, but I, you know, and I think the message is anyone can do it. Because when you did it, let me ask you, did you see a future for yourself when you were going through that time? I didn't know what the future was. Right. I I didn't know. I was taking one day at a time, and I was just planning to try to have a good day. That was it. Just trying to have a good day one day at a time. And, um, you know, a lot of people are going through it, but there is a way out. The way out is to understand the power of the mind. We uh, we so downplay how powerful we are as uh, infinite beings, I want to say. And, you know, the mind is over our energy. So if we focus on the right attitude, if we focus on uh, uh, the right thoughts, right? We'll have better energy. So energy is over will. You know, when you feel good, you start to increase your willpower, your strength, your um, uh, your your power. And your willpower is over results. Results are over action, and actions over your destiny. But it all starts with the attitude. It starts with the mind, and that's what I had to learn. I, you know, when I didn't know where I was going to go and it was just living life just every day at a time, which I do today, by the way, I live just today. I have today. That's great. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to learn how to wake up out of bed, for instance. And I, I give my mind a command. I'm awake, alert, and alive. Most people wake out of bed like I used to, like, oh, God, here comes another day. What am I going to do? I don't even want to get out of bed, right? Right. <laughs> So we have to learn how to start to use the mind in powerful ways and, you know, start to understand that the commands that we're giving our mind, like, for instance, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed out. Well, you may, you if you're giving your mind that, that command, what's it, what it's doing is it's, uh, releasing chemicals, releasing chemicals into your system. And what's happening is that your body is reflecting what you're thinking. So it really starts with the attitude. That's. That's where it starts. Well, and, you know, the examples you just gave, when I say two of the most powerful words in our language are I am, because what follows creates your identity. And the things that you just described, I am tired, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not educated enough, all of those things we tell ourselves, that really creates the reality that we live. It does. I remember I uh, early on, I went on, uh, it was a 10, uh, seven-day mental diet by, um, who was the fellow? It was a unity minister. Anyway, uh, he challenged me for seven days to just have uh, positive thoughts, right? And, you know, in the United States, we're taught to be critical thinkers. We are looking for what is wrong on a consistent basis. Most people are. And, um, you know, that's, that's okay. You can solve problems that way, but it might, you might be miserable at the same time. So the challenge was seven days not to, ha- not to dwell on a negative thought. Right? And I got to be, it was a subjective thing. I got to determine whether it was negative or not. But here's the kicker. 
is if I if I dwelled on these negative thoughts, right, then I'd have to start over, all right? And I had to wait a day or two to start over. Well, it took me a year to do that exercise. But I have to tell you, at the end of the year, when I actually completed seven days in a row without having these negative thoughts, it was, I, it was like taking a dark pair of sunglasses off I never knew I even had on. The consciousness of our mind create out pictures in our life. And when we are critical thinkers, when we... We start to worry. We're concerned. We're we're thinking uh, uh, the negative side of life. We're looking at things that oh, that's going to stress me out. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's going to feel terrible. We have that mindset, or we start judging people, places, and things. But it it impacts us. We feel it, you know. And in those feelings, will sometimes stay in our bodies for you know most feelings. As sociologists tell us go through our bodies in about twenty uh, excuse me ninety seconds. But when we're we start to dwell on them. They stay in our body for a day, a week, a decade, right? So it, for me, it's overcoming those negative thoughts. That's the attitude. But like you said, it is the I am. I am fearless. I am courageous. I am I'm, uh, loving life. I, I'm uh, all powerful. I, you know, I, I feel love in my, in my being, right? Try just living from that place. I, I feel God's love in me. Just live from there for a week. Try that. It, it, it'll shift everything. Well, and taking the advice that you just offered, I mean, as you said before, 2020, I mean, if we learned anything in the past year, it's just truly how fragile life is. And so if there's something you want to do, I mean, do it now. What are we waiting for? And take the language that you're, you know, you're, you're teaching us to use to empower us to move forward and really go after anything we want to achieve. Well, listen, it all starts with courage, though, doesn't it? Uh, courage to see the unseeable, know the unknowable, and do the impossible. Now, see the unseeable. What is that? That's that fertile mind. Listen, if you think that life is just the way it is, you're wrong, okay? You need to open your mind up again and see things differently. Look for good, good, goodness everywhere in this world. Look for beauty in this world. Look for something that you can do that you've never done before every day. That'll open your mind up again. And then you'll start knowing things that you didn't know before. And then you'll start to realize that within you is this genius, is this power, is this, is this passion, this purpose that can open up your life in greater and greater and greater ways. Um, my wife and I, when I first met her, Judy, um, we used to have an affirmation we used, and there's more. And we can, we would say it together. And where there's two or more people gathered setting intention like that, it's very powerful. I have to tell you, at one point we went, enough. We can't keep saying this. We Every day, so much amazing things would come to our lives, people, places, things, our dreams. Our, anything we wanted seemed to just keep coming in more and more. We went, we got to stop this. It's just too much. <laughs> So the mind is really powerful if we're using it in the right way. You've talked about the power of our thoughts and, you know, realigning them to serve us well. But also, I think we have to let go of the past. Um, you, you talk about dwelling on thoughts, but I think we also dwell on experiences. And often that holds us back from taking action. Well, I've sure found that in my life. In fact, I created a, a program that's called Release, Renew, Evolve, and we do need to release the uh, the past. And listen, what you can acknowledge, you can choose to release. The challenge is, is that when it's, it's un, in the subconscious mind and we allow it just to fester for decades or for even a day, um, that, that creates um, uh, limitations in our life. That creates blocks to our success whether it be in relationship or in business or career or health, if, if you have these blocks underlying the surface, somebody like myself that's a master coach that can ask the specific questions and help pull that out from you, and you can acknowledge it, and you make a clear and present choice to change that. And then you don't look back, right? You don't go, is that still there? There's a part of us that need to develop faith you know, faith in things unseen, right? So that we can change what we think is so material, so real. Um, you know, life is a school, right? And, uh, you know, we're all here experiencing, right? We're either growing and developing and learning, and we're profiting by the challenges that come to us, or we're looking at them in a negative way 
and was saying, why me? Why is this coming to me? I can't believe this is happening. We're, we feel like victims of life. But to be a victor, you've got to shift that around. That's what I had to do in my life. I had to shift the thinking around and realize everything that's coming to me is coming to me for my own good, for my own growth, for my own uh, power and passion. And You know, when you look at life that way, it's a little easier to get through some of the difficulties that we all go through. You know, Ken, I, I had to do the same. And I, and I think what's so exciting, I created this brand and the radio show and the magazine and, and everything that I'm doing when I was in my early 40s after raising my family. So for 11 years, I've been doing something that was started at an age when most people are starting to think about winding down. And I think what's so exciting about our world today is that there are infinite possibilities for people of any age and, and that we really shouldn't be looking for retirement. We should be looking for refirement. Well, here's what I know is that there are 350,000 centurions on the planet right now. Most of them are vital, healthy. They're living purposeful lives. Right? They wouldn't get to 100 if they weren't. Um, age is something that um, we've been taught, especially in Western society, that at a certain age, you're going to start losing your vitality. At a certain age, your body's going to deteriorate. At a certain age, your hair is going to fall out. Um, how much of that is uh, mind over matter and how much of that is matter over mind? That's uh, it's a good question to ask yourself because here's what I found is that every year for decades now, I've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger, right? I'm a triathlete. I've been a triathlete. I started uh, triathlons in my late 50s, okay? So, you know, life is getting uh, better and better. So the thing about age is, is a lot of it's made up. And uh, again, you know, I wouldn't have believed that when I first uh, started on this path. But I've been able to, uh, just like myself and many of my friends, have been able to heal things in their bodies, in their mind. We've been able to do things that uh, most people my age would think, oh, that's impossible. Ken, if you could summarize and bullet point your message about courage, what would you say? I would say courage is an inner strength that needs to be developed. It's like a muscle, and if you let it, if you uh, let it atrophy, uh, you will not have courage. But if you realize courage is what I call a divine strength, it's a strength that uh, when you tap into that power uh, that's within you, that energy that's within you, courage is a natural byproduct of that. So courage without wisdom is dangerous. I will say that. Um, so you want to develop wisdom. You develop it three ways. You learn by others. You learn um, uh, through, through um, trial and error. Or you learn by quieting your mind, stilling your mind, going within, and learning to tap into the superconscious realms of consciousness into higher states through meditation. So there's three ways you can learn it. But what will happen is that when you develop that wisdom, and you'll, you know, here's what happens to me. For me, I'll get an idea, right? Now it's do that idea. And then it takes willpower to make it work, right? So we have to learn that inner game of uh, using the mind to generate the successes that we want in our life. The book is The Courage to Change Everything. If you would like to learn more about Ken and his work, you can visit KenDFoster.com. And as always, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, follow us on social media, and be sure to subscribe to our mailing list. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure getting to know you and learning a little bit about what it is you teach. Joe, thank you so much for doing uh, what you're doing. You are uh, you're one of the good ones that are bringing in some more uh, wisdom, courage, and standing truth and love in this world. Thank you. I commend you for that. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call expert provides strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. She is here today to discuss using your COVID-19 experience for reinvention. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks so much for having me. So, Lisa, the pandemic has changed the way we interact with just about everyone, family members included. What do you believe have been the biggest challenges of what we've experienced during this pandemic? Well, I think we all know well that parents of young children are at home trying to do their jobs and teach online and virtual training and and zooming up all you know two bedroom apartments with four people in them or small spaces i mean it's just been nothing short of a nightmare um in that regard which needs to be completely addressed i i thank god every day that i don't have small children quite honestly mm-hmm. but there's the other side of it which is the family aspect that the adult children came home to And, you know, that's a whole reset again, because when your adult children have lived out of the house and they're in their 20s, that now they're back. And what happens when you come home? We all regress. We all regress back to being the children because the parents are home, just like even 40 year olds go to Thanksgiving with their families and are poking each other at the dinner table. (laughs) You know, it's it's a natural progression. It's not judgment. It's just the nature of families. So um, I don't. I do want to say that this is, with all due respect to anyone suffering um, the illness or a loss or just the fear around COVID right now, but there are ways that we can look at this experience and see some silver linings in it and draw some benefits from it. And I think that too has been part of understanding that we do have this block of time we never expected, that we do have family time together that we never would have had. You know, we've all wished for endless hours of staying in our pajamas and eating baked goods. You know, so, so it's had some interesting benefits to it. So how do you think that these challenges have really impacted our relationships? I did an interview, and, and I know we're talking about children and, and those dynamics, but I interviewed someone who wrote a book about rebounding after divorce, and she said that because of COVID, the divorce rates have escalated because couples are forced to be in in a you know, in a confined space and they're, and they're being forced to truly see the other person. Do you think something similar is happening with all members of the family? You know, it has to, right? This is basically, we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? So if there's dysfunction, it's going to rear its head in a situation like this, because normally all humans need space. We all need space from each other. We all need time apart. And that has been ripped out from under everyone. So you know, it has been so exacerbated in the sense of it's sad to hear about the divorces and quite honestly, the domestic violence and the things that have come out of this that's, that's really not being spoken of, which is, is will come later because we're still in the stew of this. We're only in mm-hmm. the second year of what will be a 24-month window, more or less, but till we're in the third year, which will look different than it does now. But we won't know retro- retrospectively for a while yet really what that kind of domestic potential damage has looked like when it comes to kids right now and what I, I what I've discovered with several of my clients who have their young adult kids at home the the parenting model of the parent who's in their 50s with kids in their 20s was that we overcorrected for how we were raised as children and we gave so much more right we just overcorrected and gave them so much that now in their 20s we're having trouble separating from them we're having trouble, so it's really the mothers, in, in these cases that I'm speaking of, are women. And it's in the mother situation where the mother has to stop parenting because the kids are home. They're adults. 
you know, that's where the line has to be drawn, where they have to do their laundry. They have to do the cooking. They have to clean up, which means the mom has to stop being the mother, even though it's her house. So what's a very interesting dynamic in all of this is several of these women are the ones that are leaving and leaving their kids at home. So they've had opportunities to go away for a couple months. And ironic, it's just an ironic twist where usually the kids leave the house. Now <laughs> the mothers are leaving the house or the parents are leaving the house because the kids can't grow up as long as the parents are around. What do we do about all of this? What actions can we take to solve this? Well, communication is always really important. Boundaries. We always hear about boundaries, right? Now, I'm not saying this is easy. This is possibly one of the most difficult things in the world because you are in the same space. You know, and is it, are you up for the fight? Are you up for the whining? Are you up for it? Or how can you, in other words, set the boundary and then enforce the boundary? Like, don't make dinner that night. Don't go to the grocery store. See what that's like. Take care of yourself. Let your adult children fend for themselves. Because I, I know in at least a half a dozen cases, this exact scenario is playing out. And, you know, everybody's getting frustrated. But maybe also everyone's just getting frustrated because we're in our second year of idleness, of this incredible slowdown that we're all left to our own devices. And the boredom is something we're not used to managing. So this, again, will be a huge study, huge case study in our humanity and in our, in our evolution as a culture. So it's going to be really interesting when it's all behind us. And I hope that people will use this time to strengthen those relationships because you are, you know, using the word locked in together, you are confined. And if we can follow some of the advice that you're offering to us today, we can really have memories that we can create memories that we will end up treasuring for many, many years to come. I couldn't agree more. And I believe that's happening. I believe that that in, in the healthy family environments, which, by the way, I think everyone's having spats. I think that's just right. actually healthy because it's so unnatural for us to be living like this. But in, in, a, in a healthy family, you are going to have so many more positives than negatives. You are having a chance to be together and to take care of each other. You know, and the, dis, the distance now from our, our elders and our, our, our infirm is very difficult for people, but people are doing extraordinary things to connect. And, you know, all of those house chores, people are teaching their children. You're doing those projects together because you have time to go grab stuff at the Home Depot and come back and build it. I mean, so there are really, really, I'm sure we're going to turn around and, and see some, some lovely silver linings through all of this. Lisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. If you would like to learn more about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. Fear is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action or you can face, challenge and overcome it. There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods. And there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen. With no factual basis, they usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath, taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. 
Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. According to today's guest, Jonathan Robinson, the pace of modern life leaves little time to truly connect with our partners. Yet, the need for good communication is greater than ever before. Jonathan joins us to discuss ways to keep the lines of communication open, become a better listener, and understand triggers. Jonathan is a psychotherapist and best-selling author who has been a frequent guest on Oprah and CNN. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. I'm looking forward to this. So, Jonathan, people are so busy today, and our interpersonal relationships can really suffer. Sometimes it feels like we're spiraling out of control. As a psychotherapist, you work with couples in crisis. What are some of the common issues you see couples dealing with? Well, there's really only two issues. One is that couples blame each other. And, you know, Joan, blame never works. I've never told my wife everything she's doing wrong. And and she responded by saying, yeah, now (laughs) I see what you're talking about. I'll have to change that. You know, that never works. (laughs) It never works. So, but couples do that because they don't know of a good alternative. Mm. And the other thing that uh, is always the issue is that couples don't feel like they understand each other. You know, I never have a couple come into my office and say, Jonathan, we really understand each other quite well. That's why we want a divorce. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen either. So what couples need to learn is how to communicate without blame, complain, and shame, and how to understand each other. And luckily, there's simple communication methods for doing both of those things. So when someone understands the things that you just described, does that have an immediate impact on our relationships? Yeah, it does, because what couples really want is to be able to be understood, to feel like your partner really cares and gets your feelings. And if you can give that to your partner, they will give it to you. And that's really the essence of creating more love and less conflict. But most people really are pretty bad at that. And they don't know that they're bad at that. They know that they're not getting the love that they want, but they don't necessarily know the simple skills that would lead to getting that consistently. Do you believe that people end up divorcing when the relationship could have been saved? Absolutely. I I have about 95% success rate in getting people who are on the verge of divorce to uh, be able to work it out. And it really comes down to they just have to learn how to be more vulnerable with each other, more honest, and talk in a way that leads to love. The fact that people are together without these methods shows me that with this help, with these like power tools, a lot is possible. And some of them are so simple, they take like 10 seconds to do or 10 seconds to describe. So I'm not talking about complicated theories. You know, Jonathan, to even get people to want to learn about or implement your power tools, I think sometimes we have to overcome what I call this disposable mentality. You know, growing up, we held on to everything. You had that television for 15 years. You ran the car into the ground. Do you think people today put enough effort into cultivating relationships? Or do you believe that they have that disposable mentality. They just get rid of what doesn't work. They do get rid of what doesn't work, and uh, but then they find that they have the same problem with the next relationship and the next. You know, mm-hmm. the divorce rate's 45%, but for second marriages, it's worse, and for third marriages, it's worse. So we're not necessarily learning, and right. people need to realize that they are the key to a great relationship, not finding the perfect partner. You know, being the perfect partner or a better partner is really the key to more love and less conflict. Right. Well, so, Jonathan, let's talk about some of the power tools that you write about in your book. Would you share a few with us? Sure. Um, You know, one we could do right now, you and I, just to show it's very simple. I'll first explain why this is useful. The best predictor of how happy couples are is the number of appreciations they give to each other. Now, 
I get caught up in work, so I sometimes forget to appreciate my wife. So I actually have Siri on my iPhone remind me to give her mm-hmm. a sincere appreciation every day. Now, we've known each other about seven minutes, but I still know certain things about you. For example, if I completed this sentence, something I noticed about you, Joan, that I really appreciate is that you're very clear in your communication. Some people are, have lots of ums and hugs and they... They interrupt themselves, but you're very focused and directed, and it makes it easy to talk to you, and you also ask really good questions. Now, as I, and that's a sincere appreciation, but mm-hmm. as we share those types of things, we'll start to feel closer. You know, if you look at the word intimacy, it has the instructions for finding it in the word, into me see. So I was already thinking that about you. I didn't have to make this up, but by saying it, you'll think, well, he's very intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) You'll think, well, you know, that's nice, you know, that he recognizes that. So um, you could try that with me. If you have anything that you already notice that you appreciate, you can say that. And and along the same lines, Jonathan, I was thinking, I appreciate that you are answering each question clearly and succinctly so that our audience can follow and understand. So I actually was thinking that as we were having our conversation. Well, good. And, you know, that makes it so that now we're a little bit more real than just talking information. And then you can even take communication deeper by sometimes talking about what's happening now. For example, uh, you could say, you can fill in the blank, uh, right now I'm feeling blank and I'm wanting blank. Or, you know, so I might say, right now I'm feeling like this is a really good interview. I, I really like you and I'm wanting, I, I wish we had more time, <laughs> you know. So, so when, you make, when you talk about now and what's going on with you now, that deepens relationships. And that's the type of thing that people really want, that sense of that we're connected, that we're present, that we're... We're in unknown territory in a certain way. Well, and I can understand that because I'm divorced and I wish that I had these tools before the divorce had occurred because it could have had a big impact because we went down the road of not appreciating each other, growing apart. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you can take partners for granted. That's why uh, for like our date night, my wife and I just answer three or four questions that bring us back to a place of love. If we do the practices that you're describing, will we see an immediate impact on the relationships? And I ask immediate because we're such a society of needing to see something positive occur or we give up. So would we see something changing within our dynamics? Absolutely. Uh, You know, usually within like three minutes, That's how quick some of these things are. You know, if I say an appreciation to you or if I reveal what I'm feeling and wanting or, you know, I have 50 methods in the book um, that each take like 10 seconds. So if I do that, that changes the dynamic immediately. You don't have to work everything out in your whole life in order to get back to a place of love. I have couples that come into my office who've been screaming at each other for 10 years and within two minutes, They're holding hands and feeling back to a place of love because love is a powerful force. And if you find a a method that guides you back to it safely and easily, people do want to go there. Getting scientific for a moment, when you gave me that statement of appreciation, I actually felt a warm feeling go throughout my body. Does the brain release chemicals that are bonding when something like that occurs? Absolutely. There's studies that show when you do some of these methods, they put the people in MRI machines and they find that uh, cortisol goes down, the stress hormone, endorphins go up, uh, oxytocin goes up, the hormone that leads to connection. So these are like things that happen in 10, 15 seconds. You don't have to wait years to solve all your problems. In fact, it's much easier to solve problems if you feel connected and feel loving. And that is something that with the right methods and technology, you can do very, very quickly. The book is More Love, Less Conflict, a communication playbook for couples. If you'd like to get more information about Jonathan and his work, you can visit morelovelessconflict.com. Jonathan, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? 
that if they know some very simple methods, they can get back to a place of love very quickly. And it's worth investing, whether through my stuff or other stuff, uh, in your communication skills, because that is really the key to relationships and even the key to success in the business world as well. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here and for teaching us a strategy or two and for having this discussion. With the staggering divorce rate and the way that we're viewing our relationships and getting caught up in so many stresses of the world, it's really important for us to put the time and effort into what are probably the most important relationships of our life. So thank you. My pleasure. We'll be right back. Are you interested in getting your financial house in order in 2021, but don't know where to find someone you trust to help you? Hi, my name's Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. For a lot of people, selecting the best advisor to manage their finances can be a difficult and confusing decision. I'm here to give you a few tips on what you should be looking for in a financial advisor. Number one, trustworthiness. One thing you may want to do is ask your family and friends who they work with and recommend. It's much easier to connect with an advisor who also works with someone that you trust. Number two, has your best interest. You may want to ask the individual if they work in a fiduciary capacity, meaning that they put the client's needs before their own by agreeing to make recommendations with the client's best financial interests in mind. Number three, works with people like you. Finding an advisor who has experience working in your specific industry will help you receive more tailored advice from an advisor that understands your world. For more information on selecting the right advisor, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. I pray this winter be gentle and kind, a season of rest from the wheel of the mind. Quote by John Geddes. Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awakened Sound Health. Do you ever feel like your thoughts are going around in a circle? I'm not talking about happy thoughts when you are anticipating something exciting. I'm talking about the worrying thoughts that can pursue you, the kind of distracting thoughts that heighten anxiety and keep you feeling unhappy. These types of thoughts have an impact on your energy. Constant worry is a burden that can leave you feeling weighted down and tired. Worrisome thoughts are a form of anxiety, and anxiety affects your brain as well as other biological processes. The exact link between anxiety and fatigue is not known, but it may be that the brain needs time to rest and reset. When you're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, sound therapy is an easy way to quiet your mind and lift your spirits. Therapeutic sounds are skillfully woven together to create soundscapes for rest and relaxation to release you from the wheel of your mind, release tension from your body, and rejuvenate your spirit. To learn more about sound therapy or to book an appointment, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site. New shows drop every Monday. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about a solution for those suffering from irritable bowel syndrome caused by small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is Phoebe Lapine, a gluten-free chef, culinary instructor, and author of the book, SIBO Made Simple. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So, Phoebe, many people today suffer from IBS. Experts estimate that over 60% of all IBS cases are caused by small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So, can you explain for us what is SIBO? Sure. So I think there's a bit of a misconception going around in kind of this new education around gut health. Um, A lot of talk about the microbiome, about quote-unquote good gut bacteria. And the reality is that the majority of that good gut bacteria is in the large intestine, in the colon, not throughout the entire digestive tract. Though, of course, there's some populations, other places, but it really doesn't belong in the small intestine because that's where we absorb our essential nutrients and bacteria don't really have a function. And in fact, if it's there and competing for those food resources, it can cause a host of uncomfortable symptoms, which are related to IBS and um, downwind SIBO. So what happens is due to, you know, many different types of, um, breakdowns in your machinery, um, it can cause 
bacteria or even fungi, other types of organisms as well, to overgrow in your small intestines. And then when those organisms eat your food, they release gas, and that gas doesn't really have anywhere to go so far up your intestinal tract. So it can really cause very uncomfortable bloating. It can cause flatulence, both like burping and out the other end since it's so far away from the other exit ramp. Um, And then, you know, of course, a lot of the other hallmarks of IBS, you know, constipation, diarrhea, and then some more kind of insidious symptoms like brain fog, skin issues, nutrient deficiencies, since again, they're eating your own nutrients, um, weight loss, weight gain, depending on what kind of critters are overgrowing. And, you know, it's got a big overlap with autoimmune disease because of a lot of the the dysfunction that's caused in that area of the gut, which can lead to intestinal permeability and then food sensitivities. So because everything that you just described could be attributed to something else, how is this problem diagnosed? Through a breath test, yeah. So there are over, you know, 40 different conditions that could present, you know, those hallmark four main symptoms of IBS, the bloating, the gas the constipation, the diarrhea. Um, For SIBO in particular, we're lucky because there's a test for it. Um, There's some argument about how accurate the testing is, but meta-analysis has come back that, you know, whatever you want to call it, people with abnormal tests tend to do better and have improved numbers once they go through treatment. Um, So how the breath test works is really interesting, I think, is that you have to prepare for 24 hours. It's a little bit laborious. Um, And go on a certain diet where you're eating very limited foods and then fasting overnight. And then essentially you drink a sugar solution. And essentially, it's really only bacteria that would be reacting to that sugar solution and producing certain gases. So you breathe into a tube every 15 minutes kind of as that sugar solution is slowly making its way through your system. And then they measure out the amount of gas in your breath and can kind of tell where there are populations along the way that shouldn't be there. How is SIBO usually treated? So there are a few different methods. Um, The first one is just conventional antibiotics. Um, The important thing about having a test in the first place is kind of determining which types of critters are overgrowing so that you know which types of medication will be most effective. So those with hydrogen-dominant SIBO will take a drug called zifaxin or rifaximin um, in the conventional aisle. And then if it's methane-dominant SIBO, you might have to add on um, another antibiotic on top of that. But then there's incredible data also for the herbal antimicrobial route. So these are various compound herbs, but then also kind of single herbs like oregano oil, berberine herbs, and then specifically for methane, um, allicin garlic, which is a derivative of garlic. I know a lot of people with IBS react to garlic, but this is just a special derivative that's incredibly antimicrobial and good for those methanogens. And then the third option is something called the elemental diet, which is really not a diet at all. It's a medical solution. And um, you basically drink it in place of meals for a few weeks. And um, because it's your nutrients in its most elemental form, it gets absorbed kind of immediately upon reaching the small intestines and doesn't have a chance to feed anything below. What's the most important part of a treatment plan? The most important thing for anyone's uh, treatment plan is to first uncover your root causes. So why is the SIBO occurring? Is it because you have low stomach acid? Is it because, you know, you don't have a gallbladder anymore? Is it because of maybe a host of different autoimmune conditions that could be limiting the way that food moves through your small intestine? Is it because you have endometriosis and there could be, you know, various growths outside of your uterus that are compressing your intestines and forcing things not to move through enough? Is it, you know, that you had some sort of abdominal surgery and have scar tissue internally that you didn't even know about? That's, again, kind of constricting your intestines. You have to kind of go through the list and it's very, very long and uncover, you know, what your causes may be. One of the most common causes is just a simple case of food poisoning and some of the damage that can arise to how our migrating motor complex, which is this system that moves moves food through the small intestine, how that functions. That's one of the main buckets for why people get SIBO. Um, So those treatment options that I laid out, they can apply to anyone. It's, you know, depends on how bad your SIBO is, what type of SIBO you have, and then, you know, you can come down to to lifestyle issues. 
But then I think what many practitioners are not equipped to help people with or just don't spend enough time helping people with is what happens in the aftermath. So again, the prevention to make sure that it's not a chronic condition, um, which again goes back to making sure that you at least identify and protect against some of your root causes. Some of them may not be able to be healed, um, like missing a gallbladder. But you know, if you're missing a gallbladder and missing those essential bile acids, there are bile acids that you can take for that. Um, but then there's just this whole issue of healing the gut off the back of treatment. You know, there's a lot of inflammation and dysfunction that just the SIBO itself can breed. So it's a kind of fine line after the fact with diet and lifestyle to make sure that you're healing for the long haul and also making sure that you're not contributing to another form of dysbiosis of gut imbalance with the beneficial bacteria in your large intestine, because those are so important. So Diet is a place that a lot of people get confused by. It's not necessarily a treatment in and of itself. You can cure your SIBO without ever changing your diet, but I think it's really difficult to heal your gut for good and prevent it from coming back without you know, take, making some changes and um, trying to heal your gut lining post-SIBO, trying to re- reduce some allergens that may be a result of SIBO. A lot of people get food sensitivities and that kind of just spurs the inflammation from your immune system. The book is SIBO Made Simple. Phoebe, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.